Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Bulimia Sucks. I'm your host, Kate Hudson-Hall, and thank you so much for listening. So this is a platform for people to share relatable and uplifting, but also inspiring conversations based on an eating disorder. And episodes include talking with people struggling actually now with their eating disorder, sharing their personal stories and their difficult journeys and then their steps of where they are on their recovery and um, maybe how they're going to take it forward from there. And then we also to talk to people who have overcome an eating disorder and also to professionals who work with people with an eating disorder who may have had their own struggles in the past. Now, my Bulimia Sucks audiobook is live on Audible and Amazon and iTunes. And if you'd be interested and would like a free copy of this, then please email me at katehudsonhall at gmail.com and I can send you a code so you can download it for free. Now, I've written a book recently, another book, and it is on helping people with anxiety, which I think many of us have had or have. And so there's lots of different techniques and tools and tips in my book to help you to begin to break those difficult patterns. Well, there's so much information in there. And I've decided I'm going to call it Anxiety Hacks. And the subtitle is Technique, Tools and Tips to Calm. So I'm very excited about this. So one thing I'm particularly excited about is within the book, I have included one incredible technique um, and it is called the calm your alarm technique. I use the acronym word calm within it and it's super powerful. So it's got four, taken four of the techniques from the book and they're incorporated in the word calm. So it's fabulous because it's excellent to be able to learn the points and then jump in and use it any time. And it works to be able to calm and relax you. So I'm very excited about that. (laughs) Now, our guest today, I'm super excited, is Jennifer Sherwood. Now, Jen is a mindset and confident coach, a speaker, a women's group and retreat leader, and the host of Stop Shooting or over yourself. I love that. Jen (laughs) suffered with bulimia as a teenager. And while therapy helped her to stop purging, she continued to use food as her emotional crutch for years, particularly to escape from a brutal inner critic. And I think many of us can relate to that. Jen helps the woman who is over it, overthinking, over worrying, over efforting and over proving 
Basically, she helps people stop overcomplicating their lives. She shows women how to quit trying so hard so they can stop feeling like every day requires a nap or a reaching out for that bottle of wine just to get through their day and have more, more in their life than, you know, than they ever had. And she helps people design a life they enjoy. We love that. More happiness, more enjoyment is what we all want instead yes. of the one they want to escape. Oh, Jen, thank you so much for joining us. I am so happy to be here. Absolutely. So many of us can relate to what you're doing. Yeah. That, that negative voice, that inner critic that just drives us crazy. Crazy. To, for many, it's there 24 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I even sometimes refer to it as a dictator because in, in the worst of times, it was relentless and so brutal. And the thing about that inner critic is it was brutalizing me at a time when now looking back, I had everything I wanted. I had a good marriage, two healthy kids, like everything I could have wanted. And it was sucking the joy right out of my life. And so that's why I don't want, I, I don't want that for other women. I don't want other women to suffer the way that I did. And so that's why I do the work I do. Amazing. I remember when I had bulimia and I used to call it my evil leprechaun on my shoulder. Exactly. In my ear. Yes. Yeah. It's like yeah. It's like, there. I do you remember the old Looney Tunes cartoons and Daffy Duck would have the angel Daffy on one shoulder and the devil Daffy over here. I used to feel the same way. It's funny that you said that. Like there was one just whispering in here, like do the terrible things, go eat the Doritos. And this one was going, I don't know about that, but this one was much louder. Yes. Yeah. And it's beginning to differentiate between the two, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And the Daffy devil, you know, it wasn't just, you'll feel better, go eat the whatever. But then after I did, then it would start harping on how big my thighs were or how large my stomach was or how horrible I was or how people didn't like me. I mean, it's so brutal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. So let's, uh, let's begin with your experience with your bulimia yeah. and how you managed to work your way through that. So my story is probably not different than many of your listeners. There was a lot of chaos going on in my home. And when this first started for me, I'm going to say middle teenage years, I'm thinking 13, which just 13 in girls just seems like that pivotal age where you're so vulnerable. And for me, I was so insecure and there just was chaos in my home and chaos in my life and uh, bullied, you know, all of those things. And food became an escape. And, and when I look back, what I see as the progression was, I was, I didn't know it at the time, obviously, but I was just looking for a way to not feel all those emotions. But no one teaches us how to deal with emotions. We're just, our parents don't know any better, so they can't teach us. Yeah. It's not like on your schedule at school at, you know, 8am, you have the manager emotions course. We're just thrown into this life. That's, and absolutely. That's so true. And yeah. that, that's why people don't know how to deal with them. Yes, exactly. We're not so told what to do. hundred percent. So for me, it was when I escaped uh, into food, 
it was uh, that momentary break from it. And I know there's some physiology behind this. For me, it was never sweets. It was always the crunch, the salt kind of thing. And I know there's some physiology behind whatever uh, endorphins or whatever's released when you're eating that. So there was this, this sort of temporary relief. And then it was that aftermath of now I physically feel terrible. Now I emotionally feel, I feel worse. So I got this, you know, nanosecond of relief. And then all of this horrible, but it was like, I couldn't understand that. So I kept going back for it. And that's when the binge purge came for me. And I'm sure there, you know, I'm sure that I was just trying to have some control over my life where there was no control. So when I was eating for that moment and feeling nothing or feeling better, I think in my mind that became like, that's what I want to go for. I want to be able to stop feeling the way I'm feeling. So I'll just keep doing this. Even though afterwards I feel terrible, I didn't know any other way to deal with it. And that's, I think for me, that's how the cycle got started. And did it go on for a number of years? So I wasn't, yeah. So I I was probably about 12 or 13 when it started. And then I finally went to therapy uh, at 19 or 20. So several years. Yeah. And what what do you think was uh, the turning point for you that sort of made you turn around and think, well, actually, I really do need to do something? Yeah. When I finally got help, it was because I felt so awful. Physically, just my stomach was a mess. My, um, I would get just like a sick feeling, even when I just wanted to eat a meal that I would feel sick. And, and then emotionally, I was just a wreck. And I think there came a point, no, not, I think there came a point where it was almost like my body and my mind were like, we've had it this it's enough. It was kind of like a breaking point. And I went to a good friend at the time and I just told her, this is what I'm doing. And thankfully she was a pushy good friend. So I'm, you know, 19 or 20. She called my mom and said, this is what's happening. (laughs) She needs help. And my mom, that typical mama bear, like immediately went into action, helping me find help. And, Mm -hmm. um, But, you know, the other thing is, and this isn't to discourage anyone, this isn't an overnight fix. You don't sign up for therapy and the next day you're fine. You know, there is work involved, but that excavation process of going through what's going on for you, while it is difficult and while it is painful, the reward is so worth it. When you are at a better place, when you're not in that cycle constantly. And so I'm saying this again, not to discourage, but to encourage, like, don't think you're going to go to one therapy session and then everything's hunky dory the next day. This is a, it took years for you to get to this place. It will take time to get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot to learn. hundred percent. I'm 50, I'm almost 52 and I'm still learning again, not to discourage anyone, but I, Honestly, I feel like if there comes a point when I stop learning, that's when I'm, you know, on the other side. For me, it's always about learning and growing and and just becoming who I'm supposed to be more and more of that every day. Yeah. And growing. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's exciting. It's exciting to learn new, new experience about, you know, experiences about yourself. 100%. I agree. I agree. And, and, 
for me that it, that's one of the things I love to do the most. I love to learn about psychology and the brain and how we function and, and where that's in relation to me. Where's my next level? Yeah. Where can I go with this? It's, I love it. It's exciting. I'm a junkie for this stuff. <laughs> Let's be honest. What level, what level are you on now? What are you striving mm. towards? Better still could use improvement. (laughs) (laughs) All our lives are brimming with different experiences. And and every day we all have a new experience of some sort. And some can be very stressful. So it's learning how to deal with that specific. And then tomorrow it's something else. And then you've got to figure your way through that experience. Well, I do. So what level am I at now? In all honesty, answering that, like you're saying, there might be a new experience as you and I were joking before we turned on the camera about, you know, we were dinosaurs that were born in the 1900s, but, but as we're aging, there is all this stuff that comes up in a society that favors beauty and youth. There is an element of, as we're aging, dealing with that. Um, But also as we're aging, parents are getting older, things are happening around us. So there's always challenges. And how do we rise to that challenge is part, I think, of our learning and growing as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you could, um, if you could turn back and, and talk to that younger you, that 13, 14 year old you, what would you say? What would you advise? What would you say to her now? I think the most critical thing I could say to her is the only opinion that matters is yours. And the reason I say that is because I have for the vast majority of my life been looking for outside of myself. Am I, am I cool enough? Am I thin enough? Am I pretty? Am I smart enough? Am I, all of that was coming from outside. And the problem with that is if you base how you feel about yourself on other people's opinions, then that opinion sways with public opinion. Instead of being grounded into who I am and knowing who I am, I was looking to everybody else to make me feel better. So it was, you know, when that was going on, I I mentioned I was getting bullied and that had, you're trying to to not be bullied anymore. You're trying to fit in. You're trying, especially at that Mm -hmm. age, just want to be accepted and cool. And it just wasn't going to happen. So if I could have looked within, actually, it's interesting. I interviewed a woman the other day who in her experience around getting bullied, she's a little bit of a rebel. And she said, I finally stepped outside of myself and thought, why is there, why, why is what they're saying? Right. And what I'm saying is wrong. Could you imagine if more young women felt that way? So I wish I could say to my younger self, why is their opinion more important than yours? And start from there. That would be the one thing I wish I could tell her. Yeah. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah. To get her to sort of think about that and yeah. And figure out how to do it differently. Right. Right. And we're so, our culture really does uh, push external validation. And so if that is as a listener, if you know that is you or you're recognizing you, you are not alone. You are so not alone. And it's so very, a very normal reaction in the, in the cultural values that we've grown up with. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so what would you say to somebody that um, is pivoting on that point of maybe stepping on the recovery pathway? What would you say to them? 
to encourage them? I would say, first and foremost, uh, you're not alone. So that's the one thing. This is a very shame inducing um, coping mechanism. We, it, we're, nobody talks about this. You know, you don't sit around and share with people, oh yeah, oh, you know how I cope? You know what I do? <laughs> nobody does that. So it's very isolating. You feel very alone. There is, there is shame in feeling like you can't handle this and this dirty little secret that you have. So that's the first thing I would tell people is number one, you are not alone. Yeah. Number two, kind of going back to this cultural conditioning, and I want to kind of give freedom and permission here. This isn't your fault. We really, we are really raised in a culture that values diet culture and looks and, oh, it's everywhere. You cannot escape this. We grow up absorbing all of this. And then as we talked about before, no one teaches you how to manage this. Yeah. So you're just doing whatever you could come up with to feel better. So you're not alone. It is not your fault at all. And I, I really want people to hear that. And then one thing I really want to say is please get help. This is bigger than any of us. And trying to treat these beliefs and these thoughts that are driving you on your own are so difficult. Get support. I think that is so critical. Yeah, absolutely. If no one's taught you how to manage your emotions, you can't undo what's going on without learning how to manage your emotions. So go get help. Yeah. So it's taking that mind and unraveling it, isn't it? Yes. And then With piecing it back together. That. Yeah. 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 It works. Positively. Exactly. It's, it's kind of taking the, the bricks out of the wall and deciding what you want to put back in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Take each one, check it out. Marie Kondo it. Is this bringing me joy? And build it back up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, so, and then, so what happened? So after you had therapy and then you came out the other side, Jen. So did you, um, when did you decide to become a coach? Oh, so that's a long time later. Um, came out of therapy. And I will say for me, the binge purge cycle ended fairly quickly, but I want to be honest for years, food was still my crutch. Right. And so it was coming to the point of noticing there is no amount of Doritos in the world that will make me feel better. That was kind of the aha and moving through it. And I think so, that's really important as well for people to hear. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, it's not about the food. No, the food just makes you feel worse. And so that was a process of getting there. Um, I had a, a long professional career as an audiologist, which is hearing science and really loved it. And then when I had my kids, it sort of broke open that perfectionist dictator in a different way, not specifically about eating disorder, although I was using food at the time to try to manage the dictator. Um, and so it was a process of learning through several years. When I, when I had my kids and this perfectionist dictator was ruling my life, I went and sought help again, because right. that's right. That's a different circumstance. So how did you recognize that you had this perfectionist dictator there? I think it really was looking around one day. I, I love to say it like this. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
you know, I just was looking at my life, like everything in my life as an adult is really good. And yet I'm kind of miserable. So what the hell is going on? That was kind of the moment and got help eventually in the process of getting help. I was burnt out on my profession and I was thinking about what else do I want to do? Well, I don't want women to suffer the way that I did. There were things I liked about my career. It was a helping profession already. And so coaching kind of came into my awareness, hired a coach. She rocked my world in a way that I didn't see coming really showed me how I, not as a blame, but how, what I was thinking, believing, and telling myself was what was making me miserable. And I hadn't seen that before. So <laughs> it sounds a little flip, but I just gave up my 20 year career. But we don't, we don't realize a lot of people don't realize that we have this internal dialogue. Yes. And, and that we all have it. Yes. And majority of the time it is negative. Um, and so because that's how we've been created. Right. right. So it's been um, those negative thoughts because we have, well, we have 60 to 70, approximately 60, 70,000 different thoughts every day that go through our mind, which is an extortionate right. amount, isn't it? <laughs> and if 90% of those are negative. And 80%, I don't know if 10 of them are negative. Yes. And then yes. 95% of them are the same thoughts we had yesterday. Yes. Oh my gosh. However, am I going to move forward unless I start to consciously, you know, decide that I am going to to change the way I'm listening, thinking. Yeah. 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 I always tell clients, everybody has an inner critic. Everybody. No one gets a free pass. The difference is how are you buying in to the story? And if you're believing that, which again, no one's told you that you have this inner critic. No one's taught you how to manage your, your mind. And frankly, I love this. And I really wanted to to say this, a belief is just a thought you've had over and over and over. It doesn't make it true. So when you start questioning those beliefs and questioning those thoughts, that's when we find relief and freedom. And that's why I became a coach. Oh, I see. I I really wanted to help women with that. I, I just think there's so much pressure on who we should be, how we should look, how we should act, what we should feel. Let's just know I, I, I'm done with that. And I want to help other women be done with that so they can live a life of joy and not be buried under that inner critic. I love that. I Thank love you. that. And I think it's really important that people understand we have this inner critic and that we we have a choice. We don't have to listen to it, but people don't understand that because like you say, we're not taught yeah. how to, you know, how to handle it. And people believe everything that they tell themselves. Yeah. And most people don't even really recognize the inner critic because it's been running on a tape for so long. Yeah. Your subconscious knows it, but you may not be consciously aware of it. So awareness is always the first step. Always in anything, right? In any recovery program you're talking about, awareness is the first step. So, you know, maybe one takeaway from today is to just start listening to how you talk to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I said, I've said that in great big capital letters in Bulimia Sucks and in my new anxiety book. Because it's worth repeating. (laughs) Yes. It is worth repeating over and over and over and becoming aware. Yes. 100%. So, okay, so once 
when you have a client that has um, this horrific negative critic, so um, awareness is the first step. And yes. then, then what is the, how do you take them through the process of starting to pay attention and listen and understand themselves? Yeah. So that's the biggest first step, right? Is to find it. And I will often, and this could be a, a recommendation for listeners too, is to write it down because I think the inner critic is a slippery little devil. It does not want to be exposed. So if you're like, if you think to yourself, oh, today I thought I'm horrible because I did this thing, whatever it is, but you don't write down the really awful thing your critic was saying to you, you're going to just forget it. And you're not going to do the work. So I ask people to write it down. Um, I ask people to do what I call a brain dump. Just sit down and let all the junk in your head get out on paper. And honestly, Kate, people are shocked when they see it. When they read it back, oftentimes my clients are very emotional. Like, I didn't even know I was this mean to myself. And so we take those thoughts and do what's called thought work on them. We start to... I like to think about beliefs like a, um, a tooth. You know, when you've got a, a loose tooth, you have to wiggle it and wiggle it and wiggle it before it finally comes out because it's still kind of rooted in there. That's a belief. A belief is really deeply rooted. So we do what I call thought work where we go through and we examine the thought from different angles, essentially kind of wiggling it and then try to bring it out and turn it around and look at it in different ways and come at these situations prepared with different thoughts. So when your critic starts criticizing you, you have another way to look at it and you have evidence from your life. That's one of the things we do too. We go in and we look for evidence in their life to disprove the belief. So they're armed with evidence and new thoughts to counter what's coming up. Yeah. And so it's creating that new belief that they yes. start to focus on. Yeah. 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 That's I essentially how it. we do that work. I love talking about beliefs. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> we don't realize that that they have negative limiting beliefs yeah. that stop them from moving forward in their lives. Yeah. How old were you, you know, the first time you heard the expression limiting belief? I mean, I was at least in my 40s before I heard that. But it was <laughs> when I trained when I did my training. So I was in 34 or something. Yeah. yeah. But before then I had no idea. No, because no one teaches us this. Yeah. And so a limiting negative belief could be that so many different things, couldn't it? I must, I must never fail. Um, I must be a perfectionist at everything. Um, I'm totally, I'm unlovable. I, 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 yeah, the list goes on, on and on, doesn't it? Yeah. People are judging me. Yeah. That's a, yeah. that's a big one with my, my clientele is really fear of what people think. Yeah. I'm worthless. I'm not good enough. Yeah. Oh, not good enough. Universal, that one. Yeah. There's so many, so many that we just don't know are running in the background. Yeah. 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 So it's starting to sort of sieve through and find these, these limiting beliefs that you have. Yeah. Yeah. And being, being fairly shocked when you realize how cruel You, you would never talk to a friend like that. You wouldn't keep a friend who talked to you like that. Yet it's going on inside. Yeah, absolutely. I had a, I had a limiting belief. I'll just briefly tell you that. So when I was young, when I was five, my older brother used to tell me I was stupid all the time. And so then I, when I went to school, I was taken out of 
classes for extra spelling and reading, but I had to stand up in front of the class and be taken out with a group of people. And so it was a big hoo-ha. And that was all helping to reinforce the fact of me starting to think and build this negative belief that I was stupid. So then by the time I went as a teenager and off to school, then I was in the bottom class of everything because I was believing that I was stupid. And of course at home, I'm still being told that I'm stupid. So then when it came, you know, 16, 17 to do my exams, I didn't do very well because I just, you know, had this focus. My focus was that I was stupid. And so it wasn't until I was 34 and I learned about limiting beliefs that I understood. (laughs) (laughs) this is what I had and then started to turn it around. That story is so interesting because think about how powerful our mind is that your brother constantly told you you were stupid and, and you believed it in a way that didn't allow you to express the true intelligence that you had. I mean, that's mind blowing when you think about it. And so then it's being reinforced in school when it was all wrong but your brain was so powerful that that's how it showed up I mean that's pretty amazing yeah it's really in a not great way <laughs> let's be really honest but, <laughs> but you know then eventually there was a light at the end of the tunnel I Thank didn't recognize you. it but that's uh, you know that uh, that is an example of how a limiting belief can develop yeah. from from a very young age yeah and that's just yeah. only one example uh, yes, I'm sure there are more and, and, but I just, it blows me away to think about how powerful our minds are. Yeah, absolutely. And so what, where are you now? What are you doing now, Jen? You, so you're doing your coaching. Yes. Yes. So I work with women privately one-on-one. I also have a membership group called the GC and the GC doesn't stand for anything specific. It's kind of a, a, a cloud, like there are girlfriends and collaborations. You can get coached. I, it's it's game. And it's such an amazing, I like to call it the warmest, safest place on the internet. It's a group of women that are coming together who do not see each other as competition. You can be in this group and not worry about being judged. Yeah. And it's the place where you can come in and leave your armor at the door and be really vulnerable. So it's a, it's an online group where we meet a couple times a month. I usually bring coaching tools or, um, uh, teaching, uh, a topic I teach on one of the times. And the other time is just a general, we just gather together and talk about what's going on for us and support one another. I love it so much. So that's the two ways I work with people. And so do you, with your coaching, um, do you do it online? I do. Everything's online, just like this on, oh, well, oh, okay. some people might be listening, but I do it over the, over Zoom. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And so, how, uh, how can people find you? So the easiest way to find me is my website, jennifersherwood.com. And then anywhere on socials, I'm Jennifer Sherwood Coaching. So you can find, please come find me, come hang out with me. It'll be fun. I, I love meeting new people and I love having new connections and, uh, Yeah, obviously, Kate, I was telling you, this is just so fun for me to connect with other women. I just love it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then so what sort of topics do you cover in your group? So I bring things like join. Yeah. So uh, like, for example, we've we just last this week, we were talking about navigating the roller coaster of life. So it's teaching people tools to deal with crisis We've had uh, meetings where it's um, how to have better relationships, forgiveness. Uh, boy, what else do we talk about? But those are the kind of like generalized topics of things that I think are relevant for 
women at any stage of life, really. And we come in and I, I don't take the whole time. I really, I teach the topic and then we really talk about it. I want this to be very interactive, not just me talking at them. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, people can learn from other people. hundred percent. There are some wise women in this group, let me tell you. And they don't hold back on sharing from one another. No advice giving. There's no advice giving in here. It's just sharing and supporting. Yeah. Oh. Gosh, sounds really interesting. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. And have you got many people in the group? The group is a good size. There's about 12 women in there. So it's a nice size because then everybody gets time to talk. Yeah. And our we have a private Facebook group that's pretty active. People will go in there and, and I give prompts to remind people like, what is your intention for the week? What can you celebrate for the week? I'm big on celebrations. Ladies, We are so quick to roll through the good in our life to get to the next thing. I really want to help people stop and celebrate. So the women are often commenting on each other's posts in there. And then, you know, like one woman just got into a a doctoral program and we were celebrating in the group and we were celebrating in the Facebook group. And if somebody's having a hard time, they'll post in there. So it's the whole gamut of support. It's when you're not feeling great and we're going to celebrate with you when you feel great. And what I really loved is that people, or each one of you, it sounds like you don't judge judge the other, which I think is very important. We have agreements in the group about confidentiality and about judgment. And I always tell new people, and this, I mean, it seems so simple, but it's a good reminder. We've never walked in anybody else's shoes. You, she knows what's best for her. We don't. So let's not judge where she's at. Let's not judge her decisions. Let's just be there for each other. Hmm. Oh, absolutely. The other thing I do that I'd love to share, I don't have one coming up, but I tell you, this is my jam. I love to lead retreats. So that's my other thing that I do is I lead in-person retreats, multi-day retreats. Oh, do you? When have you got your next one coming up? I don't have it scheduled yet. I usually do it in the fall. So keep an eye out something I'm becoming, but we've gone to Carmel here in California. We've gone yes. to San Diego in California. I've done a few in, in Carmel and then the pandemic hit. Um, but what about just, London? I'd love to go to London. <laughs> We're right there. Do you yeah, want my- me to come to London? Let's talk yeah. about that. <laughs> but you know this, so last November we got to meet finally in person again after all of the shutdown. And it was amazing to be in the room together and just the connections and the, oh, it was just beautiful. I love it. Oh, yes. And can anybody join this? Anybody. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then what happens on the retreat? There is a whole lot of warmth and growth. So we do, I am all, first of all, I'm all about spaciousness. So I give people lots of space on the retreat. Nothing ever starts between before 10 in the morning and there's a nice long lunch break, but we really go through, it depends on what the theme is for that particular one. Um, but we do a lot of like really checking in with what's going on. And I will tell you, I could bring a binder full of exercises to do, and I'd have to chuck about three quarters of them because what happens in that room is magic. Once people get comfortable and start sharing what's going on for them, that just builds and they are connecting with each other. And I, one of my clients came who was very um, gun shy. Is that a word around female connections? 
just experience in life. A lot of us have that because women are competition. Yeah. Right? That's, that's a message. She left that thing with a best friend. They are still friends from that. And she just came to me and said, I really realized at that retreat that who I am is good enough. Cause she's always felt like an outlier in her family and her life mm-hmm. and being in there and being accepted by the women in that room changed everything for her. So um, it's a lot less about what I teach in the retreat and more about what happens in the room between them. It's I mean, if, if, if anybody listening has never been on a women's retreat, there's such magic that happens. And the first one I went on, I was that girl who came from the, I'm nervous. Women have have hurt me. Women have jaded me. And then went to a women's retreat and was blown away by what we can do for each other. Cool. I'm looking forward to coming on your retreat in London. Excellent. We'll talk (laughs) about that. (laughs) Sounds good. Absolutely. Oh, Jen, I could carry on talking for hours with you, but we've run out of time. So thank you so much for joining. You are so welcome. So welcome. This is absolutely, I know we could, we could just keep chatting forever. This has been fully my pleasure, Kate. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. For your valuable, relevant, important information. It's been treasurable. So thank you. Thank you. So that's all for today's episode of Bulimia sucks. And thank you to everybody for listening. And before we go, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes so you never miss an episode. And then also let us know what you think and show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Buzzsprout or Spotify or Apple iTunes or wherever you are. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. So that's all for today, and thank you for listening. Bulimia sucks, but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon. 